Good morning. My name is uh, Brian. My wife's name is Sherry. We have had the privilege of serving in Brazil for many years. We went um, with Ethnos. We went to the northern part of Brazil, the Amazon jungle. Uh, hot, humid, uh, but we actually loved it. And uh, the Lord gave us the privilege of working with a people group that was very remote. There was no church there. Previous missionaries had been there, but there was no church established. And, and we had the privilege of getting into the language deeper, getting into the worldview, and then developing lessons. As you're very familiar with ethnos methodology, uh, Genesis through to the cross, through to Revelation. And we had that privilege of laying those foundations of who God is to a people group who didn't know about God. In their culture, there was no understanding of the God of the Bible. They had millions, well, thousands anyway, of spirits. Animal spirits, uh, nature spirits, plant spirits. Everything was spiritual. And the, and the shaman, the witch doctors, through taking hallucinogenic drugs, believed they could contact those spirits and make them work in their favor. They could also send those spirits to attack other villages. And uh, so, so it, was, it was a world that was definitely steeped in the spirit world. And what we had the privilege of doing is laying the foundation, showing who God is, that he was the great creator of heaven and earth. He created the angels, where those spirits even came from. They were fallen angels. And then as we progress through, just to be able to see many of them put their faith in Christ and trust Christ, I'm telling you that that for us was the greatest reward, greatest privilege to be able to see that. And uh, we also have three children who were there with us most of the time. However, they also went away to school. Uh, so naturally, that was very, very tough for us in that separation. But because of the situation there, we felt like it was healthier for them to be out of that, at least in the, in the earlier years. So they went to a boarding school and they absolutely loved it. And uh, then we, we ended up coming back uh, because there were many of the shaman, the witch doctors, had trusted Christ. And of course, the anthropologists hated that. And so, so there were 13 shaman, including many others who weren't shaman, that had trusted Christ. And whenever the anthropologists would come in and, and ask these shaman, how, how come you're not taking your hallucinogenic drugs and chanting to the spirits anymore? And they said, well, we're trusting in Christ. We've, we've come to know the truth. And then inevitably the question was, well, who's telling you those lies? So our names kept, kept coming up. And so uh, the anthropological community and the media mounted a, a very specific uh, ongoing barrage on us. And uh, we felt at one point it was, it was actually better for the work for us to withdraw. There were believers there. There were other missionaries who could step in who, whose names weren't coming up. Uh, so in that case, we, we came back 
and had a privilege of helping out in our home church for a while. And then uh, about five years ago, uh, we came back into the mission to help out as trainers. And that's where we met uh, Jason and Aaron. Just love this family. And uh, thank you guys for standing behind them like you have. I mean, that is really exciting because we have a world that is desperately in need of the truth. So let's, let's just open again with a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll look to the word of God and, and see what the word of God has to tell us. Our dear Heavenly Father, we're just, we're thankful to you, oh God. You're, you're the God of all grace. You're the God who loves us more than we could ever imagine. You're the God who sent your son to be a sacrifice. It cost you everything so that you could provide for us a free gift. And Lord, we, we are humbled by that and we are excited by that. And our hearts just fill up with, with love and trust in a God who would give so freely of himself. And Father, as we come to your word this morning, as we, we look into your word and we, we desire to see what you would tell us from your word, Father, we know it's everything you say is precious. Everything you say is right and true. And so this morning, Lord, uh, we just ask that our hearts would be open to your word. And uh, if I say things that you don't want to, to be said, Lord, help it somehow to fall on deaf ears. Uh, but also, Lord, let's just, we just ask that that which is from your word would strike our hearts just as you want it to be in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, my title is, Why Do We Need the Belt of Truth? Why do we need truth? And basically, what I'm going to do is try to lay out a case that you already know. So I'm not pretending that this is something new, but, but as Paul said to Timothy, stir up by way of remembrance the things you already know, because I find I forget pretty quick, and other things can come at me, and pretty soon I can be deceived, and I need to be stirred up by the word of truth, and if this isn't my steady diet, I will be deceived. It's not I might... <laughs> It's I will be deceived. So, so that's one of my goals this morning is just to lay out the case for this. Why do we need this? And the other goal is to maybe challenge our definition of what it means to be a good testimony. Because in North America, we have grown up, we have lived in a society that was built on Judeo-Christian values. So for a long time, the society agreed with some of, a lot of our values. They were in agreement. So sometimes I think we came to think that being a good testimony was having the world speak well of us. Whereas we're going to look at the word of God and find out, is that really what actually happened in, in Scripture? Is that really what Jesus tells us and the Apostle Paul tells us it's going to be like? And the reason I'm, I'm going to challenge maybe part of our definition of what it means to be a good testimony is because I believe we're going into 
years and, and maybe decades of much different approach to the church. We're seeing it all over the place. Things that two years ago you and I would never have believed the governments would come out with regarding church. That's, that's true now. And I think it's, things are going to get worse. And just because we have, we have also seen the persecution the indigenous people faced who trusted Christ, they faced it from, the sh- from other shamans, they faced it from their, their culture, I think maybe we're moving into a world in which that will become a little bit more normal. And I think our hearts need to be prepared for that. And so this morning, my, the title is, Why Do We Need the Belt of Truth? Well, the first reason is, is in Revelation chapter 12, we have some verses here. Revelations 12 verses uh, 7 through 10 lays out some incredible names for Satan. Just in a few verses, it says, The great dragon, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, the accuser of our brothers. Here's, here's a few names laid out for our enemy. Notice he's a great dragon, ancient serpent, the devil, Satan. He's a deceiver. And do we think that we can't be deceived? Well, we can. He's a deceiver of the whole world, and he's the accuser of the brother. We have a formidable foe. He is out for blood. And he comes at us in different ways. Well, the, the Hebrew word for Satan means to oppose, to obstruct, or accuse. In Greek, the word for Satan means adversary. And guys, this is a perfect definition of him because this is what he does to unbelievers. He opposes them. He does it to us too, to believers. He, he opposes us. He obstructs. And we're going to look at some scriptures in which uh, that is more than evident. And Jesus, when he was talking about Satan, he says the thief, he calls him the thief. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's his only objective. And yet he does it through subtle means. Sometimes it's, it's in your face. Most of the time... It's through subtle means, deceiving, moving us along. And that's why the word of truth, the belt of truth, sword of the spirit is so important because it is only as we're in the word that we will have the wisdom to discern, hey, this is of the devil because he comes in subtle, subtle ways. See here. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, Another truth about this enemy. It says Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. When we were with the Shidiana Yanomama, man, they they totally believed in what the spirit world was telling them. They they even said that it was like light, bright. Even though 
when you listen to them, they said, actually, what happens is for the spirits, the daytime is their night and the nighttime is their day. So the spirits came out more at night and they were in contact with the spirit world more at nighttime because that was the spirit's day. Man, it, it does fit in right with what Scripture says. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, This enemy, he's also the God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, He's the God of this world. That means he holds a position of power and authority. And he is at work in this world because he is the God of this world, as Corinthians says. So you put these three things together. The God of this world who disguises himself and his objective is to kill, steal, and destroy. Whenever Satan comes at us, he's trying to steal something. He's trying to kill. He's trying to destroy something, even though it might appear very enticing, very smooth talking. His objective is always to defraud. That's who he is. That's his nature. And by just, by not being in the word, we open ourselves up to that kind of deception. There's, there's a ton of names given in scripture for Satan. And I'm just going to rattle off some of these. There's over 30. But in 1 Peter, he's called our adversary. In Matthew 13, he's called our enemy. John 8, he's called a liar and the father of lies. Boy, he's the father of lies. He lies and he's the father of them. He's the prince of the devils. He's the power of darkness. Prince of the power of the air. Ruler of the darkness of this world. He's a tempter. He's an unclean spirit. He's the wicked one and he's a murderer. This is our foe. And yet he doesn't always come at us in a way that's obvious. He comes at us very often through deceptive means. That's his character. And we can see his character. We see his goal. His goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. So why do we need the belt of truth? We have an enemy out there. He's coming at us every way he can. And he disguises himself. So 2 Corinthians 11.3, but I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve, see his, his subtleness to it, as a serpent beguiled Eve through subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Do you remember what, what Satan did in the garden? It was so subtle. Part of it was, was very overt, but another part of it was subtle. He was, he was tempting Eve. He was saying, you know what? God actually knows that the day you eat of this fruit, you'll be wise like him. What was he actually trying to do in the heart of Eve when he said that? He was actually subtly saying, God does not really love you. He doesn't care for you because what's really good is here and God is withholding that. You'll be wise like God. 
God is a a withholding God. He's a stingy God. He's a God that doesn't care about you. That's the subtle message that he was leading Eve into. And once she bit on that, she yeah, you know what? That's probably true. So she broke ranks with God. And it was like, if I'm going to be truly satisfied, I can't come God's way. I've got to go my own way because God's stingy. He's a withholding God. He's a harsh God. And quite often, Satan works that way with us, doesn't he? Satan plays chess. He's not just playing checkers. He's playing chess. He's making a move here, getting you to accept something over here so that you can open up over here and bang. He's got your queen and and you're in checkmate. Satan plays a two-step, three-step, four-step game. He's subtle. He's deceptive. Notice what, what Paul said to the Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And what had Satan done to the Galatians? He'd gotten them to fall from grace. And by that, I don't believe they lost their salvation. But they stepped out of grace. And now they're working in a, in a system of law. God's system is a system of grace. In which he has totally accepted us. He has totally put us in the beloved. Just like Ephesians 5.8 says. You were once darkness, now you are light. Walk as children of light. God's system is to tell us to walk in harmony with what is already true about us. What's already true about us? We're already accepted. We're permanently loved. We're permanently sealed. We are children of God. And I love how Hebrews states it. Jesus, guys, listen to this. Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother and sister. Just think of that. Jesus isn't ashamed of you. But the accuser, remember what Satan is? He's the accuser. He comes, tries to get us out of that grace position, out of understanding how much God loves us and how much God is for us. So that's what he did with the, with the Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? What, what happened? They accepted a little lie. And now all of a sudden, they're walking in a system of law. So Satan is blatant as well. He's subtle, but boy, he's all, he can also be in your face. And we see that in 1 Peter 5. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. He's not tiptoeing around. He is a roaring lion. And he's out to devour. He's out to destroy. That's our enemy. And guess what? He's had thousands of years to practice. We're We're just going through life. This is our first time around. He's, he's seen generation after generation and he has perfected how he attacks us. He is totally out to destroy us and he knows our weaknesses and he comes after us. That's why we need the belt of truth. 
To be able to fortify ourselves, to have truth in the place. And when we see the lie, we go, that's a lie. Why is it a lie? Here's what the Word of God says. The belt of truth, the sword of the Spirit, it is so important to us in this day and age. In this day and age, when lies are being promoted, the truth is being canceled. But lies are being promoted all over our world. We need the belt of truth now more than we have ever needed it. And in 1 Peter 5, this word adversary, the devil, means he's the slanderer. He comes to slander you. He comes to slander the word of God. And I've found it, and I'm sure you have found it too, that the times in which Satan will slander you the most... And you feel like, man, how come all of this is happening? Is the time that you're actually probably doing the best before God. We found that many times working in, uh, in with, the, with the indigenous group. Many times. I mean, we had, we had shaman come and say they were going to throw uh, hexes on us and cause us to, to enter into deep confusion so that we couldn't teach anymore. And I remember one time as, as we were laying out the truth and the church was, was seeing more and more the lies of the enemy. Man, there was another village where there, was, there were a lot of shaman and they really got upset. So one afternoon, the whole village came with clubs. They came with bows and arrows and machetes. We were down at the river and they came to our house and they were gathered just this big crowd outside our house. So we're coming up from the river. And one of the believers came running and said, man, these guys over there, they are totally upset. And they want to fight with you. And uh, I said, no, no, there's, we're not fighting. We didn't come here to fight. So I, I came up. We had a good, already had a good relationship with these. But the truth, man, the truth irritates. The truth, it, when light hits darkness, darkness does not like it. So anyway, they were all, all crowded around our house. And I told Sherry, our, our kids were, were young then. I said, Sherry, just take the kids in. I'm going to talk with these guys. And so we started talking. And they started airing their, their beefs regarding what we were teaching. And I remember at one point, one of the, one of the shamans, he had a machete. He came up to me. He goes, man, I just want to whop you with this. And what they do when they're angry is they slap people with the broad side of the machete. And I told him, I said, you know what? If you hit me, I'm not going to hit you back. Because in, in their culture, you always reciprocate. And they will even let you reciprocate because they want the, the, the hard feelings to get out on both sides. But he said, man, I just, sometimes I just want to whop you across the chest. And I said, look, if you do that, I said, I'm not going to hit you back because God loves you and so do I. He, and he goes... No, I'm not going to. He says, but boy, sometimes I want to. But, but you see, truth, truth has a way of irritating. Truth will set you free, but first it'll make you mad. I think it was uh, 
Mark Twain said that. The truth will, will set you free, but first it'll make you mad. And that is so true. But the slanderer, he's a slanderer. He hates the truth. And we see throughout the Old Testament, we see that Satan came against believers just in a very overt way. Do you remember Daniel? He's praying about the prophecy. God sends an angel that that's, has the answer. And in Daniel chapter 10, it says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. This is the angel talking to Daniel. Withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia. Very overt. Satan works hard to oppose. We see in Thessalonians, Paul was, he wanted to go to the church at Thessalonica. And he sa- he's writing to them. He says, we've endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. We have a real enemy. We have a real enemy. He is out there. And our hearts need to kind of get settled with the fact we are in a type of a warfare. The world isn't going to love us. And if we pursue the love of the world as our primary goal, we will have to compromise. And let's, let's just take a look at, at the Apostle Paul. How many of you think the Apostle Paul was a good testimony? I do. <laughs> I think he was a good testimony. But did the world love him? How, how well accepted was he? How, how about Jesus? Was he a good testimony? I kind of think he was. But what happened to him? And we'll, we'll look at some of those scriptures. Here, here's what Paul writes. In 2 Corinthians 11, he says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Guys, look at that. Nine times that, that he talks about. Like, have you ever heard of a pastor being beat up this much? And if you did, if you got this letter, what would our immediate reaction be? Oh, he must be doing something wrong. God is judging him. He's on the wrong side. But this was, this was normal in the first century. Paul goes, five times I received 40 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. In danger from my own people. Danger from the Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. My goodness. This guy was a terrible testimony by our definition. Because the world did not love him. So was he a good testimony? And I asked the question, aren't people supposed to like you if you're being a good testimony? That's kind of the thinking we have. But I think our hearts need to be ready to, you know what? I'm not going out to tweak the world's nose. I'm not going out on purpose to, 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 to make an issue. But... If I'm going to live for the Lord and I'm going to do what is right, I think we're going to see a little bit more of the Paul type 
experiences around us. So if our definition is that the world has to like us in order to prove that you're being a good testimony, then Paul definitely was not one. And we might just end up pursuing the wrong thing. So here's the author of Hebrews. He's writing to the Hebrew Christians. And the reason I've got so many scriptures in here is to kind of show us it's not what I think. But what does the Bible actually say? So the writer of Hebrews, he's he's writing to these Christians. He says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Okay, these Hebrews were also experiencing that. So it wasn't just Paul. And sometimes being partners with those so treated. Here's two categories. Here's the ones that are out there suffering. They're being beaten. They're being thrown in prison. But then there's the others. They're partnering with those who are being mistreated. And notice what happens to them. For you had compassion on those in prison. So what were they doing? They were visiting them. They were helping them out. But look at what happens to those too. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So let's say Jason and Aaron get thrown in prison. And we're just glad. At least it's not me. And and quite often in the Christian community, we're we're like, man, I'm glad it was him. Glad it was them. I, what do I have to do to, to keep from being noticed? But what did these guys do? They went and visited. And what was the result to them? They had their property plundered. And they joyfully took that. They wanted to, to be partakers with Jason and Aaron in prison, even if it meant their property was going to get destroyed. But how did they reason that? It was because their treasure was not in this world. Notice what it says. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. It is having that eternal perspective. And I want to challenge myself, my own heart, all of us, with that kind of an eternal perspective. And then later on in Hebrews, it says, looking unto Jesus, and that's what I believe these guys were doing, Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Notice, notice what was going on behind the scenes in Jesus' mind. We have it written right here. Do you want to know what Jesus was thinking? Here it is. Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross up close. Here's the cross, here's the difficulty, but he had this far off look. He knew the joy that was coming after. And if we are put into situations of persecution, can we have this perspective? Guess what? Down through the ages, followers of Christ have had that perspective. Why? Because that was Christ's perspective. How did he endure the cross? Well, he looked at the joy beyond the cross. 
And then we see in Hebrews, Hebrews 11, where the author once again is talking about Old Testament saints. He's talking about Old Testament. Others suffered mockings and floggings and even chains and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were cut in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Wow. God's testimony was these guys who looked like they were being a bad testimony, he said the world was not worthy of having them in their midst. Boy, sometimes I I think we evaluate things from a different perspective. Wouldn't it be exciting to be able to have an immediate evaluation from God? How, How does he see things? Well, through Scripture we can. And remember what Jesus said to his disciples. He says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Jesus warned people, hey guys, don't pursue, don't be pursuing the praise of this world. Because that's what the false prophets did. When they were praised by everyone, it was because they weren't standing true. So why did the world react this way? We see in 1 John chapter 3, we get an insight into why sometimes this type of persecution happens. 1 John. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? The scripture tells us because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Like, mm, man, that's, that's showing me up. Got to cancel him. So he had to cancel Abel so that he would look okay. At least he thought that way. And the writer of 1 John is saying, look at what happened to Cain, why Cain did what he did, and then we can understand. He says, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Don't be surprised that the world hates you. Because if you're living for Christ, the world will hate you. The world's not going to love you. Quit trying to get the world to love you. Yes, be a good testimony. Be gracious. Be kind. But hang with the truth. Because the way it's set up is the world will hate those who are on the side of truth. And we see in Isaiah 59, I. To me, this this verse, Isaiah 59, just in verse 14 and 15, justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far away. Remember, this is Israel. This is God's chosen people. And God is speaking through Isaiah to Israel. And he says, man, justice is turned back. Righteousness stands afar off. For truth has fallen in the public squares. And uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him. 
that there was no justice. And even in here, when, when people were siding with truth, they make themselves a prey. Kind of like back in Hebrews. Those who visited, those in prison, their property became plundered. Why is this so important? Friends, it is so important because when we fail to stand with the truth, we will stand and support a lie. I've seen it over and over again. When we fail to stand with the truth, here's sometimes our thinking. We think, okay, the truth is here. Evil is over there. I, man, this is, this is just a little bit too tough over here. I want to find some middle ground. I want to find some safe middle ground. Well, there isn't. It's either truth or you're not with the truth. And Jesus said that. This, this middle ground doesn't exist. It only exists in our mind. It's only a deceptive tactic of the evil one. So when we fail to stand with the truth, we will stand and support a lie. That's just how things go. I've seen it over and over again. So how did this happen? Well, how this happens is, first of all, we've already looked at it. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He's the God of this world. He disguises himself as an angel of light. And since he is the evil one, he's convincing the world that evil is good and good is evil. We see this in Isaiah 5.20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. How much is that happening in our society now? Man, it has accelerated over the last five years. Evil is said to be good and good is said to be evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's our society. And that is exactly what Satan's agenda is. Turn this world, turn people's thinking totally upside down against God. And so we, we see he is this great deceiver. So what do we have? We have John chapter 15, Jesus telling his disciples, and we'll, we'll wrap it up here. John chapter 15, he tells his disciples, if the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. In other words, don't be surprised. If the world hates you, that's how it's going to be. You just have to know the world already hated me before it hated you. If, if you were of the world, the world would love you. Love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. What happened to Jesus? Guys, wait. Stuff like that might happen to us. Jesus says the servant isn't greater than his master. And he says if the world hated me, it's going to hate you. So quit trying to get the world to love you. 
Speak truth into the world. Bring light into the world with grace, with kindness, with mercy. But know that in the process, the world is likely to hate you. And he says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. James 4.4, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so, guys, God is light. In him is no darkness at all. There's a world of darkness out there. Evil is called good. Good is called evil. We desperately need the truth of the word of God in our lives. We desperately need it to shine light on error. We desperately need it to keep us on the right path to give us wisdom. And in the process, just arm yourselves with the mentality that if they hated Jesus, they just might hate me if I follow Jesus. And be prepared for that, just like Jesus said, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured hard times for a while. But his perspective was on the eternal. His perspective was out there, so it was worth it to endure the hardship that is close at hand. Let's, let's pray. Father, we do want to thank you for your word. Lord, it challenges us. It challenges me. And Father, in this day and age, we're in a day and age in which evil is good and good is called evil. We're in a day and age where darkness is placed in the place of light. Bitter is called sweet. And we desperately need your word to guide us. Thank you that we have your word. Thank you that you want to guide us each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.